It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Living the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Brain podcast, I am so excited to have someone on who is a young voice who is tackling really difficult issues and doing it with humor and with grace. I really enjoy listening to her, as you often do too on Relatable. Ali Beth Stucky has a fantastic podcast, but she's also got this amazing new book coming out, You're Not Enough, and that's okay. Welcome, Ali Beth Stucky. Good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so it's so funny when I started reading about the premise of your book months ago about everybody tells you that um, you know you gotta love yourself and you gotta cherish yourself and all these different things. And we'll talk about some of the myths you talk about in the book. Um, but your title, you're not enough. Um, tell me where you were coming from with this. Yes, so it can sound a little bit abrasive and maybe even offensive. Like maybe I'm encouraging people to just revel in their inadequacies and insufficiencies. And of course, that is not the point of the book at all. It is supposed to be a little bit attention grabbing because what we hear a lot, especially in female circles on places like Instagram and the self-help book aisles and bookstores, is that you are enough. And until you realize that you're enough and you gain enough self-esteem and enough self-love, you won't be able to be successful and happy and you won't have healthy relationships. And this is an idea that is perpetuated in what I call this culture of self-love. And a couple of years ago, uh, when I started hosting my podcast, Relatable, we talk about theology, culture, and politics and we kind of look at the intersection of all of those things, I I got a lot of questions from a lot of women who listen to the podcast about self-love and whether or not it's a biblical concept and particularly this idea that you are enough. So I started to dive into it and I realized that not only is it a myth, not only is it not true from a biblical perspective, but also practically it is leading women to a, a dead end. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but that is the purpose of my book. That is why I I wrote it. We go through five myths that center on what I call this lie of uh, your enoughness, and we combat them with the truth of God's word. Let's start with uh, the first one. You are enough, which is, um, that's the number one myth. So you're saying we're not enough. What does that mean? That as we are today, we're not enough. Yes. So what this means is not that we should Uh, be self-deprecating or self-loathing or just kind of accept our insecurities and hate ourselves. It's actually the opposite of that. It is an encouragement to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own ideas of our own sufficiency and put our eyes on Christ who has become our sufficiency. And so the goal of this particular chapter in this book in general is not to encourage people to self-loathing and self-deprecation, but to encourage people towards self-forgetfulness, to forget what you think about yourself which is unreliable and ever-changing. It's dependent on our circumstances, on our performance and our feelings. And those things are changing on a day-to-day basis. And instead to find our identity, to find our value and to find our, our worth in Christ, who the Bible says is the same yesterday and today and forever. And to realize that God made us not enough. He made us insufficient. He made us fallible. He made us finite. He made us to depend on him for strength and not only for strength, but also for salvation. If we were enough, we wouldn't need Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us sinners to a holy God, but 
He did. And so we are fundamentally not enough. And it's okay that we're not enough because our creator has made us that way. And he has given us Christ as our sufficiency. What would you say to people who pick up this book and maybe they're not religious, they're not Christians, or they don't have any kind of religious faith? Is there a message there for, for them too? Well, this is an unapologetically Christian book. And so I will um, not try to skirt around my belief that Christ is the solution. He is the antidote that if you are, as C.S. Lewis says, if you have a yearning inside yourself for something that the world cannot provide, it must be proof that there is something beyond this world. And I would say the same thing to someone who is religious or not, that if inside yourself you are finding these very real feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency and insecurity, all these things that we all feel, the answer to those problems can't also be found inside yourself because the self can't be both the problem and the solution. And so if we are looking outside of ourselves, which we should for the antidote to those problems into those bad feelings, then the, the most logical place to look is to the God who created us. Now, there are, this book is replete with practical advice and um, practical explanations of how these ideas, for example, we talk about the myth that you determine your own truth mm -hmm. and how that shows up in society in the justification of things like abortion or cancel culture because we don't have an objective standard of what truth and morality is. So people are just deciding what it is on a day-to-day -day basis and how that is very damaging, not just to the individual, but also to society and how objective truth is so important. And so, yes, you can draw something out of it if you are a person who doesn't have faith, but at the end of each chapter and at the end of this book, I'm always going to point back to, yes, for example, it is important to have objective truth, but where does objective truth come, come from? It comes from the God who created it. And so, sure, I encourage people who are not Christians to, to read this book. I do think that there's a lot that you can get out of it, but I am going to cram down your throat every chance I get the gospel, which I think is the best message that you can possibly hear. Yeah, and it's woven into everything that you do, every topic that you tackle, everything that you go through. You don't shy away from things, from controversial things, from your faith or anything else. Um, you share a lot of personal stories, too. Um, what was the most difficult or trickiest? Because I know when you write about yourself and share things that have, have hurt you or been a real struggle, it's, it's hard to go back and dig through those emotions and dig through those memories and put them on paper. Yes, and you did this so well in your book, and so you know exactly how hard it is. And it's, it's a process, and I don't know if it was like this for you, but there were times, you know, in this book, I talk about a, a really hard season in my life in college, this kind of identity shifting and finding season to where I decided that I was going to go my own way. I was going to prove that I was enough for myself. And it led me to a dead end that led to an eating disorder, unhealthy relationships, over drinking and things like that. That is my personal story of how I realized I wasn't enough and that was okay. And that Christ is my sufficiency, my fulfillment. And so I go into detail into that, but I, as I was thinking through the story I didn't want to share it when I, when I was writing, I kept on kind of going back and forth and thinking, do I really want to give, you know, my critics this much ammo? Do I really want to let people in, even people who follow me, they don't know this about me. And now they're going to see what, you know, an utter failure I've been in my life. And then I realized, hang on, that's what this book is about, that we are all flawed and that we are, we all have, you know, fallen short and that God's grace is sufficient for us. And so if I'm not honest about my story, then how can I expect other people to be honest about their own insufficiency, which is so important in realizing our need for a savior. And so 
there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of heartache conversations with my family, with my husband, not wanting to talk about this stuff. No one likes to talk about regrets. You just want to kind of throw it in your past and, and never have to think about them again. But it's very gracious that God uses our regrets as a testimony in order to glorify him. And that's what I, I hope that my story does. Yeah, it will. It will inspire people and encourage them because none of us are, are perfect, like you said. And we've all been through dark things and we've all made mistakes and we've all had um, struggles. And I think there's no benefit, especially to other women, to paint that you've always got it together and you always yeah. you know, had everything under control and you never got off track or did things that you yeah. think, what was I thinking? Um, so I think it's really important and I'm, I'm glad that you did that. I think it, it is a way to reach people and to really help them the most through that. Um, I want to talk about this. You touched on this, that the idea you're entitled to your own truth. I got an email today from some cosmetic company or something, and it was like, join us and figure out your truth. And I'm like, this whole thing that there are not like, there's not gravity and there's not up and down. And there's, I mean, I feel like it's almost laughable, but there are people who've totally skipped past this idea that there are any kind of absolutes. And I know a lot of people don't want there to be absolutes because then that does require some level of responsibility or accountability for things. Um, but there are a lot of people who think that, yeah, your truth is your truth. Your experience is your experience. And that's okay if you and I don't believe the same thing, which is true. I mean, this is a, a free country, thank God, that we live in. Um, but there are some things that you could argue maybe are, are you know, our truths, our facts. Um, yes. What do we do with that movement? So no one actually believes that there is no absolute truth because you might have heard this before, but even the statement that there is no absolute truth is an absolute right. truth. <laughs> every, everyone believes, whether even if your worldview is that all truth is relative and that you get to decide what's good for you, that is still an absolute worldview. And if I say, well, I don't believe that truth is relative, they're going to say truth is relative. So therefore, they have declared a truth. No one actually believes the truth is relative. Everyone believes in some set of values that they believe is right. And if other people don't have those values, they're going to disagree with that. So the question is, is not whether or not you believe in truth, but where do you believe truth comes from? Do you believe that it comes from yourself? And if so, I heard someone who I had on my podcast, he just said something so obvious, but poignant is that you are not good. The self is not being is not good at being your own God, because you can't tell yourself anything that you don't already know. It's like, Duh, of course, but that just put it so simply that we cannot give wisdom to ourselves. We can't give advice to ourselves. We can't give direction to ourselves. Anything that we need has to come from an outside source. So again, the question is, where do you believe that truth comes from? And if you don't believe there's an objective source for that, well, then it's just the blind leading the blind. And that's what you see today. And for example, a lot of, of cancel culture in that, okay, today, what is uh, offensive and cancelable wasn't offensive or cancelable yesterday. And we have no idea who is deciding this. It's just based on the outrage of the mob. But the good news is, is that for Christians, we, our behavior and our opinions are not dictated by the whims of the mob, which change every day, that we have an objective source of truth in the word of God. And yes, there are disagreements among Christians about interpretations and things like that. But at the end of the day, we can always go back to God's word and we can say, okay, but what does he, what, what does he say? Uh, is true. What does he say is is right, and what does he say is good, and that is where that is where we can get our guidance. So again, it's just a, it's a lot of relief that we don't have to follow our own truth, as the Bible says. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Jeremiah seventeen nine. If I had to follow my own heart, 
um, I would be in a heck of a lot of trouble every day because it's just not reliable, but God is. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When I get my emotions involved in something, you know, I mean, you have to stop and sit yourself down sometimes and say, like, this is not reality. I mean, you may be upset about this or outraged about this or afraid of this or whatever it is. Um, but I think working through emotions, when I think that a lot of people are taught now, like your emotions are your truth and you follow it. And, um, you know, for all of us, I think, especially if we're going to be mature adults and we get upset over things, um, I think you got to stop and sit down and talk yourself through things um, sometimes because yeah. being ruled by emotions is exhausting, exhausting in the moments so, of my life that I've had that. So exhausting. And that's why it's good news. Like we hear a lot in women's circles online that all your feelings are valid or all your feelings are legitimate. And it's true that you shouldn't just pretend that you don't have any emotions at all. Having emotions is part of being made in God's image and emotions can be very good, but you have to subject your emotions to reality or else, like you said, you're on this exhausting hamster wheel all the time. And not only are you negatively affected by it, but your spouse, your kids, your family members are all affected by you just being this Tasmanian devil of uh, emotions. And no one wants that. Yeah, I may have had a day or two where my spouse might have wanted to call me a Tasmanian devil. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, own that. I'm going to own that right now. Um, okay, so let me ask you this, because you are very bold um, in your conversations, uh, in your podcast, in this book. How do you deal with, do you have haters? I'm guessing that you probably do, because everybody who's out there on Twitter or anywhere else um, how do you deal with the negative? Cause there will be people obviously who disagree with everything you say and your basis for everything. Um, yeah. does it bother you? Do you let it bother you? Do you engage? Do you not engage? You know, I probably engage too much and, or I have engaged in the past. I think I do so less now. And I used to let the negativity and the criticism really get to me. Honestly, my husband has been really helpful in that and kind of bringing me back to reality and anchoring me and reminding me of what's important and who tells me who I am. And it's certainly not strangers on the internet. It's not even the people, it's not my fans either. They don't tell me what I'm worth or who I am too. My obedience to God is not measured by how many people like or don't like me, but do I let it get to me sometimes? Does it hurt my feelings? I mean, absolutely. There are just some days where I find myself in this slump of like, I really don't like when people, when people hate me. No one likes that. I would say probably, especially women, we don't like that. But there is a verse in Matthew where Jesus literally says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Mm -hmm. And if that's a bad thing, well, then it's okay that people aren't speaking well of us as long as it is for the reason of sticking to our Christian convictions. Um, And so that's what I try to do. I'm very imperfect and certainly... I let it get to me when I shouldn't let it get to me. And I just have to, as every other Christian does, rely on the strength of Christ to bring my mind back to what's important. But um, it can be a struggle. And there are certainly days when I'm like, is this even, is this even all worth the Twitter? I would be okay if all the internet, if the, if the computers at Twitter just crashed, because sometimes it seems uh, not redemptive at all. But as it is right now, um, I am in this fight and I just rely on the grace of Christ to help me keep going. Yeah. I mean, there are times I definitely have to do a little bit of a sabbatical because I'm like, you know what, or even, you know, I'll put things out, whether I want to post news updates or versus whatever I'm doing that day, but just not read things, not read comments, not look at likes, 
none of it because like you said you also can't get sucked in by the positive like it's never you're never as great as people tell you are you are you're never as terrible as people want to tell you you yeah. are either and looking i find to anything other than my relationship with christ is very unsettling i mean i get unrooted that's when i get emotional that's when i feel like oh my gosh i can't fight with these people about you know you love president trump and you are state front television you're terrible the same exact show, somebody is telling me, like, why are you so disrespectful to the president? You're a never Trumper, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing my job as a news person if you're going to rip me from both sides. But we are human, and as women, I think sometimes a little break is in order. A little sabbatical from uh, the social media uh, can be helpful. Um, tell me your generation specifically. I mean, you've become a big voice for that group, and my Anna is nodding her head across uh, the table from me as we work from home from my kitchen table. Um, you know... I think that you speak for a lot of them, you encourage a lot of them, that you can be young and smart and engaged and um, really not afraid to hit on the things that are um, at the middle of the cultural stew right now. Um, what would be your, your word of encouragement for young people who maybe do feel, um, you know, kind of entangled in social media and other things and, you know, kind of especially in this year where we've had COVID, unsettled people and lose their jobs and then the riots and the racial unrest that's got, you know, have, have many of us looking around and trying to have important conversations with people that we love, people that we think we need to reach out to. I mean, what's your advice on tackling all those things for your generation? Yeah, so there are a million different directions to look right now, and there are a million different people and a million different worldviews and perspectives trying to pull you in different directions. Now, speaking specifically to Christian women, now is the time to read and to understand your Bibles. There's, I finally created this list of resources on my website, alibestucky.com slash blog. You can go, you can see a post, and I talk about which Bibles I like and why, the different extra biblical resources that I like, different books and articles and videos and things like that. And so, of course, you know, I recommend that you can go there, but it's so important that we know the fundamentals of our faith because that shapes our worldview and how we critically think about the world around us, how we critically think about the chaos that's waging in our street. And it also affects what we do in our in our lives, what steps we take and what conversations that we have. And so I would encourage women to make sure that you know your Bibles, make sure that you are building a biblical worldview, that the people that you're listening to, the people who are defining things for you, the people who are giving you advice, um, also share that biblical worldview. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to people or learn from people outside of your faith. I do all of the time. But to make sure that the worldview that you are building is built on the objective word of God. That is going to equip you uh, for the uh, battles that you are facing and even just some of the issues that we are having to think through. Now, one thing I do want to say is that social media and the news make us feel like we are omniscient. They make us feel like we are omnipresent and even that we have to be omnipotent, that we have to carry the weight of the world and that we have to carry care about every single issue everywhere. And human beings are finite. You were not made to carry the weight of the world. You were not made to carry, quite honestly, uh, the, the weight of every single issue going on in the world. Not that you can't care about them in some sense, but God has called you to what is right in front of you. He has called you to your family. He has called you to your church. He's called you to your community. If he's called you to an international mission or some national issue, then that's great. You pay attention to that. But understand that your focus in this life has to be limited because your life is limited, your time is limited, your resources, your capacity is limited. So try not to get so anxious about everything that's going on in the world and realize that God is calling you to obedience 
and, and joyful obedience um, in the roles that he has called you to right in front of you. If you want to change the world, if you want to change society, be obedient in the roles that you already have. Be a good wife, be a good mom, be a good employee, uh, be a good church member, community member, neighbor, whatever it is. That's honestly, that's the best way that you can affect change. Um, so I hope that that grants some kind of relief to people who, you know, like me can very often feel anxious about everything that is going on. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I had John Eldridge on not long ago um, from his book, Get Your Life Back. It was one of the things that he said is that we're so wired to know what's happening in the world, you know, earthquakes and wars and mudslides and typhoons. And, you know, he said, think about it, you know, a couple generations ago, people wouldn't hear about that for weeks, if ever. Um, but right. we're constantly bombarded with the suffering of the world and the crisis of the world. And we cannot manage that. And we're not meant to. And thank goodness we can, as you said, be faithful where we are in the roles that we have. It's such a good reminder that you don't have to do something giant. I mean, you just have to be where you are planted, as they say, not to be too cliche, but it's really true. Um, be faithful in the small things and um, we'll be living out our mission. So I love Sucky. The book is called You're Not Enough. And that's okay. It's out August 11th. Her podcast is relatable. You can check that out as well. And um, she's sometimes a guest with us and hopefully will be even more on Fox News at Night. Allie, great to have you. Thank you so much. And wishing you success with the book as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. This was a very fun conversation. All right. We'll do it again soon. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.